as we've been looking at the end times last week, we were looking at God's purposes for the this tribulation, and uh, and we we looked at Scripture to tell us why uh, and what God's purposes and His intentions are for the tribulation uh, to to take place, and we saw that there's a purpose for Israel, uh, and Israel and the church are different, and. That purpose for Israel is a refinement, according to both Zechariah and Romans, uh, that there will be a remnant of Israel that is saved through this tribulation period. And so God specifically has in mind a very specific purpose for Israel. Also for the Gentiles, there's this judgment of the Gentiles. And so there are there are two kinds of people in Scripture, right? There are Jews and Gentiles. And so that's everybody else. And there's this. This punishment, this judgment that is going to take place for the evil that exists in the world and 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 for the Gentiles that that have been persecuting the church during the church age, which has now lasted roughly 2000 years. And there is going to be a judgment for that. There's also a purpose to reveal Satan, because although some of us know biblically about Satan, this period is going to uh, be a period where he is. Released, And he is not going to be restrained for at least the last half of this tribulation period. And people are going to see Satan for who he really is. And I think like we don't have the ability to understand the mind of God. It's that's impossible for us. Uh, I think that we don't understand the, the pure evil of of. Satan, and yet it will be revealed during this period. And of course, there's a purpose for for God himself to be completely vindicated, completely vindicated. So we were looking last week at some scriptures where God is going to really reveal himself. And we're going to start there as this tribulation period starts to, to really ratchet up tonight. We are going to see that God's word tells us. Which means it has told everybody, God's word has told everybody that he will not be mocked and he will be vindicated as as he saves this remnant. Uh, and many come to faith in Christ during this this tumultuous period of time that we call the tribulation. And then, of course, finally, uh, there is a purpose for believers. Not us, because. We won't be there. Exactly right. That's Revelation 17, 8, right? That says that that um, for those that whose name is written in the book of life, we're not going to see these things according to Revelation. So we're not going to be there. But there will be believers during this period of time called the rapture. In fact, it says there will be a great multitude that is that is saved. And we're going to we're going to broach that uh, just this evening. And so there's a very specific purpose that God has revealed to us. So when somebody asks you, why would a loving God do this? You can go to Zechariah, to Romans, to Isaiah, to Joel. You can go to Revelation and uh, you can go to Corinthians and the answers are there. Scripture tells us why God is going to provide for this tribulation period that is going to be a period of judgment and a period of refinement. For the for for Israel, um, and uh, we also saw last week that that for the believers that are raptured off of the earth, there's going to be a, there's also going to be a judgment for us as well, right? And so 
this judgment, of course, is uh, a judgment where we are going to give an account for our actions while we're here, uh, for our thoughts and our words. We saw that in Ephesians 6, 1 Corinthians 4, and Matthew 12, actions, thoughts, and words are something that Jesus really cares about. So as we're studying end times and we see that the believers are going to go before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to open the book and we are going to give an account for what we did with what he gave us. It's really that simple. What did you do with what I gave you? And then he is going to provide for us these rewards or he is going to take away rewards. And it's really interesting in Scripture because the implication is is that we all start with a full bucket full of rewards. And there's really no other way to read that when you take a look at at this judgment that is going to come uh, at this judgment seat of Christ for all of us. Because it says that depending, now he already knows, but depending on uh, on what what this judgment consists of, that means what we have done. By being not only hearers of the word, but doers also, right? Uh, that, that he is going to either add rewards or take rewards away. I, I like the bucket analogy because it, it helps me think about things that are filled up or not. And so, uh, see, we're already filled. Uh, that's, you've heard here at this church many, many times. Um, that you don't have to ask continually to be filled with the Holy Spirit because when you were, once you were justified, you were filled. You were filled. And so uh, there is a, uh, now it's whether or not you want to appropriate that filling of the Holy Spirit. But you were filled uh, with the Spirit of God once and for all, if you put your faith in Christ. And this bucket of rewards is full. And so uh, in one sense, we are going to be rewarded or we are going to have rewards that are taken away from us based on what we choose to do in terms of how obedient we are and how we follow Christ while we're here. And so that is the believer's judgment. And we, we saw that there are, it's represented in terms of crowns. Now that's going to be significant in just a second as we talk about the Antichrist and what his actions are in the first part of the, rebel, or the, first part of the tribulation. But crowns are significant because what do they signify? What does a crown signify? Royalty. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So to the extent that we are going to have the crown of life, um, which is the crown for those who persevere under trial, and that's James chapter 1. These are scripture references from last week's handout, by the way, so you won't see them on tonight's. Um, and, of course, the crown of glory for shepherds who shepherd the flock. And rightly divide the word of God and live by example. Um, there's an imperishable, imperishable crown for those that that uh, that finish the race, that that live a life of self-control, that are uh, that are obedient, and that um, uh, they do things in their life that please the Lord. They will receive that crown that is imperishable. Well, all the crowns are imperishable. Um, and then, there, of course, there is the crown of righteousness. And that crown of righteousness, every believer is going to receive a crown of righteousness because it says that a crown of righteousness is fit for those that 
that that run the race, that finish the race, and that always are anxious for the appearing of Jesus. Anybody anxious? Have you ever had that thought in your mind? Oh Lord, you can come now. Okay. I, I, I don't know a believer that hasn't had that thought, you know, and it's and at the same time we have that thought and we know by just having that thought that a crown of righteousness is reserved for us at the judgment seat of Christ. And yet sometimes we say, but not yet, Lord. And, and the not yet's are important, which is one of the reasons that we're studying the end times, because the not yet's really have to be reserved for those that that we know that they've not yet made a decision. They've not yet made a decision. So there's still time. Until the Lord comes, there is still time. And that really should be our heart. So this chaos that we looked at last week, this chaos that, that, that doesn't really start the tribulation, because we know what starts the tribulation according to Scripture. What is it? The peace treaty with Israel starts the tribulation period happening, according to Revelation. And so the, we looked last week at this coalition, and we didn't look at the scriptures. So tonight I want to just read quickly the scriptures that start this period of, of war. Okay, It starts a period of war, and this has to happen, as Ezekiel says that it will, by virtue of... Um, the prophecy that says that the Antichrist is going to use this period of war uh, to his advantage. And Ezekiel 38, you don't have to turn there. Ezekiel 38:14 says this. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, who is God? Anybody want to take a wild stab at that one? Mm, okay, so you've been reading some books, haven't you? <laughs> Doris, you're, Doris is a reader. Um, so Gog, it says that therefore son of man prophesy and say to Gog. There's this Gog and Magog in, in, uh, in prophetic scripture. And Gog is actually a, a group of nations, if you will. And, and quite specifically, if you study scripture, prophetic scripture about who is going to attack Israel... It is going to be a coalition. So last week we said there will be a coalition of armies that come together and they're going to cooperate. And these armies are going to be put together and they are going to attack Israel. And so uh, in scripture, they are referred to as Gog. And that and it says it says the countries from the far north. And if you take a look at where Israel is and the north is what? Russia, but it's not just Russia, and don't we have to be really careful with this because lots of books are written out there, and people say all kinds of things, and you got to be careful just how much you pour into uh, what Scripture says. You have to let Scripture speak for itself. But Gog and Magog and the nations that are that are uh, indicated in Scripture, of course, aren't called today. Some of them are, but they aren't all called today what they were called. Uh, in the day that this was written. So we know that it is a geographic territory, and those geographic territories include places today like Syria, Iraq, Russia, some of the, some of the stands 
uh, whenever whenever Joel and I used to go back and forth to Africa to go over and see the roads and, and build the stuff over there that we were doing, we were, you know, on the back of a seat on the, in the airplane, it has a little um, GPS thing. And, and we, we always, the first time we went over there, we got a little bit nervous because we're at like 40,000 feet or wherever those things fly at. And we're going all over. And, and Joel says, uh-oh, we're going over the stands. And I thought he meant like, Stand. I didn't know what he was talking about. The stands, what do you mean? Like football stands? Like, you know, the, <laughs> no, Afghanistan and Pakistan and this stand, and there's a lot of stands over there. And so these territories include some of the stands, if you will. And so, and I don't want to get too far into that, but the point is, is that there's going to be a coalition of armies that is referred to here as Gog that are going to attack Israel. It says that this is what the sovereign Lord says in that day when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? You will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land in days to come, God. I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Now, it's really interesting. Ezekiel is talking about these nations coming together to attack Israel, and God is going to use them to reveal himself. How? By saving Israel. Israel. And this is the last part of our review from last week. Ezekiel says... That not only is God going to use these armies that are the enemies of his chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews, God's chosen people. He is going to use the armies that attack them by destroying them because Israel can't, because they're minuscule by comparison. And we don't know how big the armies are going to be, but the inference in scripture is it will be massive. Meaning there will be, I don't know, it may be millions of, of soldiers. We don't know exactly. But scripture says there will be a lot. So much so that under normal conditions, Israel would just collapse under the weight of this army that is going against it. But then Ezekiel says in thirty-eight seventeen, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the one I spoke of in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel. This was spoken about a long time ago. It's fascinating to me that we have the prophets and the prophets are hard to study, aren't they? Don't we like to go to the New Testament? It's a little bit easier. God, just tell me how I'm supposed to live my life and I'll, I'll mess that up, but I'll try. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best, Lord. And when I forget, then I'll even ask for the power of the Spirit to do it because I try in my own strength too often. Anybody have that experience? And so, and yet, prophetically, God's Word tells us that all these things are going to happen. It's going to happen. And so he says that at that time, they prophesied for years that I would bring you against them. This is what will happen in that day. Ezekiel comes right out and says, Dude, this is what's going to happen. Just, there were people that were hearing him. And then there's been people for thousands of years that have been reading this. And some of them just don't get it. 
They just don't get it. In fact, sometimes I think we don't get it. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that this is what will happen in that day. When Gog attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. And in my zeal and fiery, fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. All the people on the face of the earth during this time that there is an army that is attacking Israel and God sends these these essentially these plagues because it's going to be an earthquake and other things. And he's going to reveal himself through this and the whole world is going to see God. Now. Some of you probably already know when the whole when God reveals himself to the whole world through this, do people just tremble at his sight and get down on their knees and beg for repentance? They don't. They don't. And so he says that the mountains will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble and every wall will fall to the ground. I will summon a sword against God. I will summon a sword against God, meaning that the Lord is going to wipe Gog out. That's this vast army, this coalition of, of, of nations that has come against little tiny Israel. He is going to wipe them out with the sword on all my mountains, declares the sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. As we looked at last week, the armies are going to start killing themselves. And Israel is going to be sitting there, this little tiny Israel, virtually defenseless against an army that is well equipped and with so many in number. And they are going to begin infighting and they're going to kill themselves. Israel is not going to lift a finger. God is going to turn brother against brother. Instead of fighting Israel, they're going to fight themselves. They're going to start killing themselves on the mountains that God declares. He says, I will execute judgment on him with plague and bloodshed. I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. They then will know I am the Lord. God wins the battle. So. Has the tribulation started? No. Because God's word says that it can't start until there's a peace treaty with Israel. Very emphatically and clearly, there is no tribulation start until there is a peace treaty. And so we know that we know the person that that ushers in this peace treaty, don't we? Okay, and so in Revelation 6-2, it talks about this invading army. And then we have to take a look then at Daniel 7-24. So that's where we'll start tonight. We'll turn to Daniel 7-24. Hey, Bill, does the the word say anything during that time whether Israel, does Israel call out to God before the battle or are they in awe of the cause of the battle? Hmm. Well, we're going to see how Israel responds 
to this. Because so many times they turn to God and then the first thing they did afterwards is turn away. Uh-huh. Because what is uh, what is God's plan for Israel during this tribulation period? What specifically is his plan for Israel? We talked about last week. To bring them to him. To bring them to him. To save a remnant, according to Romans. So God is going to save a remnant. Well, saving a remnant means that that's... Is that all of... No. It's not all. It's not all. And what has been happening with the Israelites... Oh, since they crossed the river, let's say. Yeah, yeah, they've been falling away. They've been disobedient. And in some way, we're going to see that God has had a hand in this even. It's part of God's plan. That he has hardened the hearts of Israel. And we're going to see later this evening that he has a fix for that. It's in his plan. He's going to give them their heart back. So, really, you were saying because this isn't the tribulation yet, um, after all this, once they do the peace treaty thing, they're still going to turn back to build that. Mm. We're going to see that. And we're going to look at some scripture that's going to answer that specifically tonight. Because what's happening right now is, I don't mean right now in scripture, I mean right now in Israel, is what? Chaos. Why is it chaos, Steve? What's happening there that makes the what's going on in Israel? What? What? what why is it chaotic? Because nobody can agree that God is God. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, so they just have enemies. Everybody is against them. Everybody is against them. And this army that gets defeated by God, the reason that God has to defeat the army is who isn't with Israel at this time when, when this takes place? Yeah, the, 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 the good old U.S. of A. is pretty well decimated because, because the rapture has taken place because Sally said, we're not going to be there. And so there's going to be, you talk about chaos, there will be chaos. And nobody knows the time frame between, between when the rapture takes place and this army invades Israel. We don't know. There is some indication in Scripture that there's actually a, some, a period of time that goes by. It doesn't say that it happens instantaneously. The church is raptured and the armies, the armies uh, congeal together and invade Israel. That's not what is indicated biblically. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture in that area, but, but really what Scripture says is that the church will be raptured. The next event, then, is going to be this, this invasion of Israel. And, but it could be a few years. Maybe it's just months or weeks. We don't really know. But if you think about it practically, there are people now that are already coming together. Okay? There are many of these nations currently that clearly have publicly stated that they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. It's not a stretch to suggest that after the rapture, this coalition of armies could come together very quickly. So it could take. It could be weeks. There's going to be chaos in Israel before this happens, anyway, because there are some Christians that are going to be raptured. 
There will be Christians on, uh, in every country on this planet that are going to be gone, and there are going to be people trying to explain that. So they're going to be dealing with that. That's right. They're going to be dealing with that, and there are not going to be any believers that are left. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a, it'll be a fascinating thing. I'm glad I'm not going to be there. But uh, it'll be fascinating because, you know, there, there's going to be churches that are, that are almost empty. There will be pastors, I'm telling you right now, there will be people that are pastors in churches that, that are going to be left here. There isn't, not every pastor at every church is a, is, has put their faith in Jesus Christ. There will be people that have been sitting in pews for two Sundays or 622 Sundays that are going to be, quote unquote, left behind. So the true followers of Jesus Christ, those that have put their faith in Christ, those are the ones that are going to be raptured. There will be people left that have heard the news. Okay? They're going to know it here. Okay? They're going to know it here. But what's going to happen is that, that these events are going to be known to some that are still here. But not a lot. There won't be a lot. There will be very few that have the knowledge the head knowledge, but but there certainly will be some. Tim. So do you mean by there will be those that are still here? You mean people that have knowledge of scripture but haven't believed? That's correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And and we probably know some of them. there are there are you know even the demons know Jesus well, and there are many many people. There are atheists that are that are astute Bible students. They know this the word better than any of us in this room. Many. Many do. And so they know it intellectually, and they've studied it with wrong motives. The motive is to disprove, not to be a follower of Jesus. Okay. And so um, in, in, Revel, excuse me, in Daniel uh, 7, 24 and 25, if somebody could read that, please. Those two verses. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise. Different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half time. I love scripture when it talks about time. We've got 70th weeks, we've got days, we've got weeks, we've got times, we've got time and a half. And, and, and that's interesting, and that's a study for another time. But what this scripture in context is talking about is the Antichrist. And the interesting thing about the Antichrist is this war takes place. God saves Israel, and what's happening is there are these kingdoms. And this Antichrist is a pretty crafty guy, and he comes out of... What most would believe is a restored Roman Empire. I don't like to use that term necessarily because it really is a coalition and it is a restored group of people that are forming, well, for our purposes tonight, we can call it uh, a, a strong, uh, uh, let's say they have a, they have in mind a one world government. It, let's just put it that way for, for the time being. And this Antichrist 
conquers according to verse 24 the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom and then another king will arise another king will arise put that in your head for just a second different from the earlier ones he will subdue three kings the antichrist somehow or another subdues three nations he either in we're not told he either invades Conquers. Now we're told in 6.2 of Revelation that he comes to conquer. That's his purpose. And so then we're told in, uh, in Daniel that he will subdue three kings initially. And so there is some strength. This man is about to be revealed as the strongest, most powerful man in the world at this time. He will be politically powerful. He will have conquered and taken control of enough of the political and financial wealth in the world. And he'll do it with he'll do it with religion later. But for right now, um, people look at it positively. So he he conquers and he comes to power and he all of a sudden uh, is elevated as the man. Okay, so at this time, the Antichrist is the man and he's powerful and he overthrows three kings or three other nations. We don't know which ones. We just know that he sets himself up as being the powerful world leader. Then we're going to really see what his character turns into after a while. Here. Right now, it's positive. Question. What saints are they talking about here? The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half time. That sounds like three and a half years mid-trib. <laughs> there are there are there will be at the point of the rapture there will be no saints there will be tribulation saints the saints that are going to that are going to uh, be on the earth that uh, who's a saint a believer in Christ there will be saints that will be left on the on the planet if you will before this trip, not left, but there will be saints uh, on the earth by virtue of the fact that the rapture took place and they had been sitting in churches or they might have even been atheists that know the Bible well. And they go, oh, my gosh, it's real. Okay, so if this doesn't mean that just because the church is raptured and just because there has not been a peace treaty signed, meaning that the, the tribulation period has, quote unquote, biblically officially started, that there won't be people that come to faith immediately. Could it be another revival? It, there is going to be a revival. In a different way than what we might think about it in the church age revival. No tense. <laughs> there will be evangelists, though. And if we get there tonight, we'll see that. But the point is, is that, yes, there could be these. And would those be considered tribulation saints? I believe so. I believe that you have to consider them because they're going to go through the tribulation. And so anybody that puts their faith in Christ from after the rapture until the second coming is going to be considered a tribulation saint. But oh, woe to them. 
they are going to they are headed for some real trouble. And that's why it's only going to be for seven years to protect them. It will be to cut the time short, as the Lord says. He will cut the time short. It's a beautiful thing when you stop and think about it because some people get all caught up in this wrath of God and the judgment of God. And yet at the same time, the love of God is such that you will see that he does not want one to perish. And yet they do. And they have been, haven't they? And, that's where and we, they will. That's where we can put in also that he won't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> yeah, and, boy, and I'll tell you what, in my small little pea brain, I wonder about that in the tribulation, you know, that he won't give you more than you can handle uh, uh, as a believer. Um, and there will be believers in the tri- during the tribulation, and, uh, and, and God's hand will be on protecting them. In fact, we're going to see the 144,000 just exactly how God protects them, because they are going to be the evangelists. But nonetheless, Deuteronomy 34 through 5 says this, Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He's talking about who? Israel, that's right, the Jews. And so what's happened? So the Jews are back in their land, right? God's, I mean, this is just prophecy, okay? So in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, this is a book that any decent Jew would have memorized, okay? And he says that I'm going to bring you back to the land, and I'm going to bless you there, okay? The church is gone. You've got to be thinking that some of the Jews are saying, wait a minute. All right. So 1948, and we, we came back to the land. And so now what's happening is, is that these, all of our brethren who have been scattered all around the world are coming back. And last year I mentioned to you that, that the, the influx of Jews to, to Israel is, at, is happening at an unprecedented rate. An unprecedented rate. And so uh, half of the world's Jews already live there. And so that's, that's half of them. They, they were dispersed. And so it's getting easier and easier for them to come back. To the land, and they all want to be there. Every Jew wants to be in Israel. That's the, that's the mother country. <laughs> Talk to any Jew. Okay? As, much as, the, as much as my Jewish friends that love the United States love the United States, believe me, they are connected. They are connected. Yeah. By God, they are connected to the land. Because that's been the, that's been the promise, hasn't it? That's been the promise all along. And so Ezekiel also says in Ezekiel 36, 24, if some of you have already turned ahead there. Is somebody at Ezekiel 36, 24 yet? For I will take you out of the nation. I will gather you from all the countries. And bring you back into your own land. That's good enough. That's the only one that you need to read. You can read the rest of those other couple of verses uh, on your own time. But what does God's word say? What's he doing? He's bringing them back. He said he's going to bring them back. He's bringing them back. It's happening right before our eyes. This is what's happening. So God's prophetic word is being fulfilled right before our eyes. So God fulfills this promise... And he gives them his land back. And if you look in verse 26, if you read ahead just a little bit, he says also, which is what I mentioned earlier, I will also give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone, Israel, 
I will re this is God speaking to the to the Israelites now, and he's saying God is invested. Okay? These are his he chose them. And then he tells them, I'm going to bring you back to your land because God is a promise keeper. And not only am I going to bring you back to your land, I'm going to defeat your enemy. I am going to protect you. And then he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put... Does that sound familiar to a New Testament Christian? Okay. I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Oh, this is a Jesus thing. You see, the whole end times study, when you get into it, it is about... Jesus. There's the verse. God says that you're going to come to Christ. Okay? And he's going to do it. So that remnant of Israel that is saved will be just like who? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. They will be Christians. They will be, Jesus will be revealed to them in a way that they have never seen him before. Because why? Because their hearts are hardened. Their hearts are hardened. And God is going to soften those hearts. Hey Bill, does this also say here, by the way I'm reading it, that Jesus is going to baptize his people himself. We're saying here that he will sprinkle them with clean water. Would that be looked at as like a baptism too? I think that the, the, the implication is the cleansing. Okay? And so he says that I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your old land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities What are the and from all of your idols. What are the impurities? Sin. 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 Okay? That, and so, and and so, the, the the cleansing is a cleansing of their hardened hearts. It is a cleansing from their rejection of Jesus. They have been disobedient since day one. Okay, all part of God's plan. All part of God's plan. And yet, do they have the opportunity? Yes. Has God hardened them? Yes. Why? It's part of His plan. That's correct. And so as as you go through the study and you find out that God's purposes are not just for the end times, but he has had a purpose since the beginning of time for all people, including you individually and me. That's a that's mind boggling. I can't even go there. My, my brain can't wrap around that one. Um, the God that created the universe had a plan specifically for me. Whenever that, whenever that creation was being done, uh, he was thinking about, uh, you know, Dale and Susan and Robert and Anna and all of us. Uh, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I can't wrap my head around the mind of God. But it's true, because that's what Scripture says. So in order for him to clean Israel, 
All right. In order for that cleansing to take place and to remove their idols, in order to deal with the evil that's in the world at this time, and to reveal Satan and to save that remnant, if you will, to vindicate himself, what does God do? And what is one of the things that God uses to change people's hearts during this period? Because this war has taken place and God has protected Israel and he has, according to his word, he has revealed himself to the whole world by virtue of what he's done. Mountains have crumbled. It says cliffs. Scripture says cliffs fell down. Uh, This is not figurative speech. These are literal things that are going to take place. Mountains are going to be moved and cliffs are going to crumble. Okay, God is going to reveal himself. That doesn't mean that people are going to uh, accept him for who he is, but he is going to reveal himself to them in ways that have never happened before. And he is going to, he is going to cleanse Israel. He's going to do all these things. And what's one of the methods that he's going to use to do that? The Spirit. The Spirit. Well, his Holy Spirit is involved very specifically. We don't talk about this in church much. Floods. Famines. And what do we call these things? Judgments. God sends judgment. Okay, here comes the hard part. This is the hard part. Because God sends judgment on the earth. Hmm. Where is Israel? I don't mean physically. Where is Israel uh, at this time spiritually? Pretty much dead spiritually. Okay. Israel is Israel. Okay. The earth has been cleansed of Christians. There's very few. Any of them that came to Christ, there's going to be very few Christians during this time when the, the judgment of God starts. And he starts in telling us in Revelation that his first judgments are sealed judgments. Now, we're going to see that these judgments have to take place because that's part of God's plan for the cleansing. And is Israel a part of this? Absolutely. There are Jews and Gentiles left and there will be some Christians. The church, however, is gone. Well, I want you to think about the church is gone. The church age is over. The church age is We're living in the church age. We go to church. We talk about church. We love church. We love the church. It's gone. Where's church? It's in heaven. Loving each other. Loving the Lord. Being rewarded. Having, sitting at the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, there's a wedding that's going to be taking place while all this is going on down here because there is a wedding... There is that that wedding. You know who's getting married? Oh, Jesus is getting married. And who's he marrying? The church. Okay. So we are the bride and we are. There's a wedding that is going to be going on in heaven while all this is going on on earth. And we're not told specifically, but I believe that it is a concurrent event. I believe it is taking place at the same time because the rapture takes place. We only have seven years. And these things are going to happen. And the sequence of these events are the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, included in the rapture, of course, is what? Our, what's going to 
Yeah, we're going to heaven. And how are we getting there? Yeah, we're going to meet him in the air. And and how are we going to be dressed? In robes of righteousness. And what kind of bodies are we going to have? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So in our resurrected, glorified bodies, we will be in heaven with the Lord. Okay. While this stuff is going on, these judgments are going to take place because there has to be a cleansing and they have to remove the idols and God has to be vindicated. And so this judgment is going to take place and and the judgment now starts. We are at the first part of the tribulation period. The Antichrist has been revealed and he cuts a deal with Israel and says, I'm the most powerful man on the planet. I am going to protect you. There's a lot of eyes in this in this person's vocabulary. I'm the man. I'm going to protect you. I'm I'm the powerful one. I can do anything, uh, and, and I will stand behind what I'm going to tell you. And he's going to tell them that there will be a seven-year period of peace. Okay, the peace treaty is signed. Israel is secure because they buy into it. Why wouldn't they? This is the most powerful man in the world. And he says he's going to protect them. Hey, sounds good to me. So they buy into it. Then what happens? God sends judgment. Turn to Revelation 6. In Revelation, you see Jesus... They were trying to find somebody that would that 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 would that could open the seals, that could break the seals on the scroll for the judgment that is about to take place, and nobody was found worthy except for Jesus, according to God's word. And so Jesus then, by virtue of this prophetic word breaks the seal. Now, there are how many seals? Seven. 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 And we talked last week about the significance of seven, which is? Completeness, perfection. Okay, lots of sevens in Scripture. So every time you see that, think about completeness and perfection. And so Jesus breaks the first seal. Revelation 6, 1 through 2. Somebody, please. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So there's the Antichrist. We already seen him. He's here. He's conquering. He just started his conquest. Okay, so he conquered three countries and he's got himself a worldwide reputation for being the man. Okay, and he comes across as being good. Amen. All right. Well, we know his intentions, though, because he came to conquer and he rushes onto the scene and he conquers these countries. And it says that he wears a crown. Does that sound familiar? Who wears crowns? Royalty. He's wearing a crown and he is amassing power. This is taking place now. These judgments are about to start taking place. The first seal judgment is 
the Antichrist is released, the treaty is signed, and Israel is secure, or so they think. Okay? The second sealed judgment, then, is broken. Revelation 6, 3 and 4. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, fiery red one. His rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Hmm. That's really interesting because there's a red horse now. Many believe that the red horse is symbolic. Now, we've got to take a look at the literature, don't we, in, in, uh, in Revelation. And the, there's, there's apocalyptic literature. There is literature that, that is very difficult for us sometimes to understand because it is full of imagery. And it is full of symbolism. Okay? And so we have to figure out what those images represent and, and what, the, what is being symbolized here. And so some believe that the red horse... Is, is, is like a horse of blood because this, this second sealed judgment that uh, all peace, not some peace, at this time, all peace. Now Israel, remember, is, is this little tiny place. It's this big. There it is, sitting over there. It's this little, little piece of dirt way over there in, the, in that part of the world. Okay? Um, but we're taking a look at, at events that are not only going to be happening in the in, in, the, in Asia or, or in the West. We're talking about the whole world. Okay? So many things in Scripture we've seen before have taken place in very specific areas of, of the world, right? So what I want you to think about in these terms is, is that everything that we're talking about here in terms of Bible prophecy and what God's Word says is going to happen is happening globally. Okay? So Ohi is affected. Okay, oh, I suspect we don't think that way, do we? We're comfortable here, aren't we? We're isolated and we're frankly quite wealthy. And so we don't think this way, but we must if we're going to understand what God's word is teaching us. And so Revelation 6, 3 and 4, the second seal judgment says that people begin killing each other on a massive scale, it says. In fact, what, this is what, listen to what Jesus said back in Matthew. Jesus said the same thing. He said in Matthew 24, 6 and 7, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You've all heard this scripture before. So you're going to hear of these things, uh, but see to it that you're not alarmed. What? <laughs> I remember uh, when I was learning how to skydive and I wasn't a very good skydiver and uh, I'd get out of the airplane and I'd flail around and so my skydive instructor said, Bill, all you got to do is just relax. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> How can I relax? They open the door and you're going to have me jump out. I, that's not relaxing. Um, but anyway, Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, earthquakes in various places. And various places means all over the world. Jesus told his boys that this was going to happen. And it starts to happen. The third seal judgment is then broken open. And Revelation 6, 5, and 6 says. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. 
And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Interesting. What is the third sealed judgment? Famine. Famine. There is going to be a famine. It only makes sense, doesn't it? If you stop and think about um, about war on a global basis. Here's Israel, though. They're protected. Why? Because they have a peace treaty. Nobody, Hamas is not firing and lobbing bombs on Israel at this time. And neither is anybody else. And Israel is, I mean, I don't want to be crude, but they're like fat, dumb, and happy. They're going through the process. They're going to, they're going to rebuild. There's peace there. They're going to rebuild the temple during this period. And yet the rest of the world is going in the tank. People are killing each other. It says in the second seal judgment, all peace is wiped off the planet. Except for that little piece of Israel. They feel secure because the Antichrist said, I'm going to take care of you. Okay? And he does. Nobody's, nobody's sending bombs on Israel. Nobody's saying we need to wipe those people off the face of the earth. Interesting. There's never been a peace time like this in Israel. And yet the rest of the world is going to heck in a hat basket. And so this third seal judgment talks about the scales. Okay? And it talks about the amount of money that it takes to buy basic provisions just to live. And if you understand the time of, of, of this uh, writing, it indicates that it's approximately 10 to 20 times more costly to buy anything. So if you, if a, uh, I don't know, a gallon of milk today is like outrageous. Have you bought a gallon of organic milk at the grocery store lately? Organic milk in a gallon is like, is, it costs like, like $7.50 for a gallon. I'm going to start pouring it in my car. I guess it's cheaper than gas. Than mine. But, um, yeah. Now imagine going to the grocery store tomorrow after the rapture has taken place. Well, you wouldn't be because you're not going to be there. But, but anybody that's going to be there and having a gallon of milk go from $7 for a gallon to $70 or $100 for a gallon of milk. That's what Scripture says is going to happen in this third seal judgment because war is going to be happening and there's not going to be a lot of time to be doing a lot of farming and the corporate farming that's happening in the United States which feeds most of the world is going to be in the tank because there's not going to be enough people here to work the fields it's going to be a mess and food is going to skyrocket in cost and nobody is going to be able to afford a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk it ain't going to happen it ain't going to happen that's the third seal judgment. The fourth seal judgment, Revelation 6, 7, and 8. God is bringing these judgments on the earth. Revelation 6, verse 7 and 8. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature said, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. His rider was death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Wow. This is now all of a sudden starting to sink in, maybe, huh? 
So here's the fourth sealed judgment. And so the compound effect of the first three judgments is really starting to show. And a fourth of the planet is given up to death by sword. All of these wars and all of these conflicts mean that 25% of the earth's inhabitants during this seal that is broken, this fourth seal judgment, are going to die. Now think about this for a second. After the rapture, let's say there's 5 billion people on the planet. And this sealed judgment is broken open and there are 25% of them. This is a short period of time. This is not a 25-year war. Okay, We're at the beginning of the tribulation period. This is happening. Okay, 5 billion people on the planet and 25% of them are killed. How many people is that dead? 1.25 billion. 1 billion 250 million people die. And they're laying around. There's not enough people to get to them. Think about this. Of those that are going through this. Loved ones. Think about this. We're relational people. God built us for relationship. And yet these sealed judgments come on the earth. And 1,250,000,000 people are killed. Quickly. There's not enough time to bury these people and have funerals. and It's chaos. It, 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 I, there isn't a word to describe this. There is not a word that is going to describe this. Ezekiel foretold of this a judgment in Ezekiel 14.21. You don't have to turn there. But, uh, but Ezekiel said that this is exactly what's going to happen. And it was revealed to John, the revelator, okay, so it was revealed to John who wrote Revelation through the power of the Spirit that this is what he saw. This is what was revealed to him. Just imagine that. The fifth seal judgment of the seven seal judgments. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow saints and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. That's a fascinating judgment and a fascinating scripture because if you were with us when we were going through the study of heaven and we were talking about whether the question, now that's a good question, one of the questions was when we're in heaven will we see what's going on on earth? And you take a look at this scripture which is one of the scriptures we use to support that, yeah, in some cases... Because the martyrs knew those that had been killed for the sake of Christ are saying here in this fifth seal judgment, Lord, how much longer before you avenge our, our death? They see what's going on. 
Now, I don't know. Perhaps God just provides those that have been martyred the opportunity to see. But I don't think so, because I believe that the principle is pretty clear. I believe that for those that need to know, God is going to provide for them to see what is going on on earth when we're in heaven. And so he says, not yet. And so during this fifth seal judgment, a lot of martyrdom takes place, which means that people are coming to Christ. There's no church. The church is gone. But people are realizing that the God that has revealed himself through all of this is God. And much like Old Testament saints who did they come to faith in Christ? No, no. And so there is a sense here where these people are being God is being revealed to them and and they are repenting. Very much like the Old Testament saints, they get it and they are being martyred like we've never seen before. Because they're hated. They are absolutely hated in this fifth seal judgment. We see that martyrdom takes on um, uh, more people are martyred than ever before. For belief. So believers get martyred. The sixth seal judgment, Revelation 6, 12 through 17. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth, as late figs dropped from the earth of the fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. How far did I go? Uh, to 17. Then the kings of the earth, the princes... Princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The great day of their wrath has come. God's wrath is being poured out on the earth in judgment and there's a cleansing that has taken place and uh, this sixth seal judgment has physical impacts like nobody has ever seen because we hear a lot about earthquakes don't we and it seems like every time we talk about an earthquake in the end times in chronological fashion meaning each time that there's an earthquake it gets bigger and I have no idea what the size on the Richter scale of this earthquake is. But this one says that it affects not only all of the earth, all of the earth. That's a big earthquake. But even the sun and the stars and the moon are affected. It is cataclysmic what is going to be taking place. And I'm sure there are going to be people trying to explain that one away as well. They are going to try to explain how the sun and the moon are affected by this particular judgment. And believe me, it is cataclysmic because this is chronologic. 
Meaning as these seals are broken and these judgments are taking place, they are compounding on one another. They are not one-offs. So on top, this is a very short period of time. And these are just the first judgments of God's wrath. There are judgments to come. They quite frankly make this look tame. We won't be here. <laughs> we don't need to tie anything down. <laughs> but the Antichrist during this period is amassing great power. And he is using the cataclysm that is taking place here and he is doing and saying things to set himself up for what is going to take place next. And it's being allowed to happen this way. Because why? Two reasons. One, it is written and it's God's plan. It is God's plan. The seventh seal judgment does nothing more then set the stage for what? The trumpet judgments that come next. But before those trumpet judgments can be discussed, there's a lot of stuff going on just besides God's wrath that is taking place. And there, now that's a lot of wrath. Amen? Yeah. This is, it's hard to imagine God Unleashing this wrath on a sinful, disobedient, and evil world. And yet, when we sit here as believers and we say things like, Oh Lord, come. We're pronouncing the same kind of judgment on this sinful disobedient and evil world. Many times because we're a part of it. Because even though new creatures in Christ, our old nature doesn't go away. And so because we sin, we can relate. We can relate, but we don't have any concept of the depth of the sin and the evil that is unleashed on the planet after the church is removed. Because we're going to see next week that when the restraint is removed and sin is allowed to have its way, that we ain't seen nothing yet. So if you think, and if you are uneasy, and if you are uncomfortable because you're a sinner and you don't want to sin, but you do anyway. Can you imagine what the world is going to be like during this period where nobody cares? And there is no repentance. And there is no grace. It is every man for himself. See, because we're just talking about 
the seal judgments before the trumpet judgments and we haven't even begun to talk about what life is going to look like and what God's word says that it is going to be like on the earth for this seven year period. The first three and a half of which frankly are nearly as bad as the last three and a half. So at the midpoint of the tribulation things really, really get bad. And it is because it's God's plan. After these judgments take place in the first three and a half years, Israel is building the temple. We don't know how, and we don't know exactly where. We believe that it's on top of the Dome of the Rock. So we believe that the mosque that is there now is going to be discarded. Why? Because God wiped out the army that has been preventing Israel up until this time to even consider dismantling the Dome of the Rock and building, rebuilding the temple on that holy site. And so, because they have security, and because the Antichrist is holding back Islam and all of the, all of the enemies okay, of Israel, that's going on. They're rebuilding. Because it must be done. Because it is written. And they must rebuild the temple. So when all of this is happening, it only makes sense when you stop and think about it because there is so much chaos in all of the world. And here's little old bitty Israel. There they are. There is just this little place. And they're taking down this little dome of the rock. And they're, they, they might even protect it. I don't know. Maybe there's no sledgehammers or nothing. I'm, maybe they take it down piece by piece and set it aside. I don't know. But I know that it's going to go away. And they're going to build their temple. They have to. Because of what happens in the second half of the tribulation. And so, <clears throat> I think it's probably safe to assume that there are many world religions that still exist during this time. Just because the church is raptured, it, only the Christians are gone. So think about that for just a moment. What about the Hindus and the Buddhists? Huh? Are they gone? They're here. Yeah. See, everybody else is left behind. And what about our friends that, that, are, that are, because we can relate to this, I, I don't have very many uh, Hindu friends, okay? In fact, I don't think I know a Hindu. Um, I don't think I know a Buddhist. I, I know people that have a Buddha in their house. That seems to be quite popular where we live today. But I'm telling you, these people are left behind. And that, that religious system stays intact. And so do the Mormons, and so do the JWs, and so do the, and so do the you know, you know, I got a, a sister that's a Scientologist, and they, they believe in reincarnation, and they, they're going to, you know, they live for billions of years until they reach the state of clear. Uh, but they're here. They're here. And they're, they're trying to figure out, see, there's a religious system in place for now. See, because all that is going to come to an end. These religious systems have to end. Because if you don't end the religious system that you're in, you will be killed. It becomes that simple. So there is also a church during this time. If you want to call it church. <laughs> I was waiting for comments from the from the gallery. So what is the church? Because the church is gone, right? We're, gone. We're not there, right, Olivia? We're gone. All, right. 
All these things are going on. It's been a very short period of time. We know that this is happening at a maximum. All these things are happening in the first, well, probably a year and a half or maybe even two. Okay? That's a lot of stuff going on for a pretty short period of time. And, and there is a church. Not the church, but there is a church. How can that be? Oh, okay. Yeah. The Antichrist. Okay. The Antichrist has yet to come on the scene as the religious leader. Right now, he is a he is a political and an economic figure. Okay, and a military figure. He has yet to he has yet to become the the, the temple isn't completely built yet. Okay. We're still in the beginning part of the tribulation. And all these wars and all these people are dying and all this chaos is going on and there's little Israel doing their thing and they're being protected and it's pretty, they're pretty secure. In fact, I would tell you that based on my study of the end times that they're even comfortable. Huh. So church, let's not get comfortable. I believe they're comfortable because they're going about doing their thing. They're building the temple. They're getting prepared for the sacrificial system to come back because that's what God's word says is going to happen. And this sacrificial system is going to be in place. It's the first time they've ever been able to relax. Yeah, yeah. For, for thousands of years, they've never been able to relax. So I'm thinking that it's kind of, woohoo, <laughs> feeling pretty good here, you know? Because our, our guy, I mean, he's not one of us, but he's going to protect us. He's kind of like the United States. But he's not only is he protecting us and we're in peace, we're secure, we're stable. The world is falling apart. But look, God is, you know what they're thinking? God is blessing us. And he is. And he is during this time. And these other religions are still in place. Those systems didn't go away. Fascinating. We're not told anything about the other religious systems in, in Scripture. Not a thing. Not a thing. They could well be growing because it might be the people that are left saying, well, I better hook on to something. They better hook on to something. And so, therefore, we have in Scripture a description about the apostate church. What's an apostate? Falling away. F- falling away. Okay? Fake. Right, that's good. Okay. The apostate church comes to prominence. Why? How could that happen during this time? Because it's there there and the Christians are gone. It's amazing. You see, false teaching today is readily identifiable because it has somebody to contradict it. All you've got to do is pick this. Just pick this up. Okay? And read it. And if you read it and you understand it, you will see that when somebody... If you are in the Word of God and the Word of God is in you, you can find out if a false teacher is espousing something that's false because it doesn't line up. It's, this is not rocket science in some cases. Okay? Other cases it's challenging. But for the most part, for historic Christianity, for the historic Orthodox Christian faith, those things that we would hold to be essential... It's pretty easy to see the guys that are teaching something else. I shared with you that guy that I ran across in Florida a few weeks ago, and he's claiming to be Jesus Christ, and he's cut. It's an unbelievable following. There's like 3,000 people following this guy now, and he's claiming to be Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? 
I gotta believe that there's not a one of them that's reading this. Not a one. But isn't that just a natural? I mean, for the people to just grab onto whatever's left—that's a natural response of a human being wanting to fill the void in their heart. Absolutely. And here's what the apostate church does in Revelation. First of all, during this period of time, the apostate church tells people exactly what they want to hear. They don't tell them the truth at all. No difference than today. It is the same thing happening today. They just don't have anybody to refute it when the church is gone. And so if you want to see, you can go to Revelation 17.6. And it says this, and we're going to close because we have something special before we leave here tonight besides print. Revelation 17, 6 says, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. Well, wait a minute. We're talking about the apostate church, by the way, because in Revelation, the apostate church, do you remember any other names that Revelation calls the apostate church? Harlot, whore of Babylon, a harlot. Not these are not. Uh, yeah, they're not very flattering. These terms that Scripture uses for the apostate church, and then Revelation seventeen six says that I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. You see, those that are bearing testimony to Jesus, those that are becoming tribulation saints, those that have had an aha moment and have come to faith during this time are put to death by whom? The church kills them. That's incredible. And they're proclaiming to be the church. And so you come to faith in the true God and you are martyred. You are put to death by the church. It's fascinating. What happened to Jesus? That's not the answer. What happened to Jesus? The Jews crucified him. What happened to Jesus was the same thing. See, it's a threat. People come to Christ during this period of time. It's tumultuous time. People come to Christ. It's a huge threat. I mean a huge threat. Because the apostate church, if you read through, and we don't have time, but if you go through all of Revelation, becomes powerful and wealthy and influential. They don't don't want the past to come back. Oh, are you kidding me? The apostate church knows the truth. Yeah. They know the truth. Jesus came, and what did he say about the religious leaders of the time? He wasn't having a lot of flattering things to say about them. Their hearts weren't right. And the apostate church clearly on a multiple of 10 or 50 or 100 or a million <laughs> is the same way. So when people come to faith during this period, they're just killed. There's no questions asked. They're just killed. This is going to be a really, really tough time. You see the struggle with people wanting to come to Christ? At this time, when people want to put their faith in God, it's 
gonna cost. It's not might cost. It's gonna cost their life. So we got to go home on that tonight. Because for us, we're like Israel. I don't know about you, but I'm comfortable. I like this place. The Wesleyans let us hang here. We, we have relationships with the Lord and one another. We, we actually genuinely care about one another and for one another. Um, it's kind of nice. In a crazy world, I'm kind of comfortable here. You know? I could probably afford milk if it doubles in price. I'll still drink. I like milk. I'm, I don't have a lot of big problems. I got problems, but they're not really, compared to this, they're nothing. Pretty comfortable. It doesn't cost me anything. Nobody's going to come through the door with a sword. There's no red horse. None of these things are going to happen while we're here. And yet, we should be concerned about it. For others. We're going to pick up next week and we're going to take a look at what happens now that things are really going to start to escalate because God is going to have to use some people because a great multitude is going to come to Christ in this in this period. Not only before the midpoint of the tribulation, but after the midpoint of the tribulation. And then the trumpet judgments are going to take place and the Antichrist is going to be turned loose. And the scripture has a lot to say about what the world is going to look like during this period of time. And we need to understand it so that we can be equipped.